Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Media. Hello and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, the podcast about people who have been designated as cool by a random lady with a microphone. It's me, I'm that lady, Margaret Kiljoy. My guest today is Matt Lieb. Hey, hey I'm here and I'm Matt. Go ahead. And I'm excited to be here. I'm very yeah. happy. We're going to talk about some, some cool people and the cool stuff that they did. It's a nice break for me from... Talking about bad people who did bad stuff. That's right, because Matt is a a comedian and a Mm -hmm. podcaster on uh, Pod Yourself a Gun and also a shoplifter. That's right. (laughs) I uh, was a, I mean, quite prolific. In fifth grade, at least. (laughs) Well, I was a prolific shoplifter uh, when between, I think, fourth and fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, stole from the Westside Pavilion, uh, RIP, a mall that that is no longer with us. the best mall. I know. It was so amazing. I know. And it's like. Oh, is this it, the one that people tried to buy to turn into a community center recently? No, it's not. No, unfortunately, it's now Google. <laughs> is oh, it God. Google? Is that it's what that fun. building is? Yes, is that Google there? Google. No, so it was. Uh, people, you would know this mall as. The mall from Clueless. The mall that oh. uh, Ty almost uh, died in when yeah. those hot boys. Tried to pretend to push her. Yeah. But but then she lived. And then she got like, I don't know, just real cocky about it. Like real conceited. And then she called Cher a virgin who couldn't drive. And that was way harsh. But true. It was harsh. It was it was true. She but is a true. virgin who can't drive. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is a fictional movie. But yes, the West... It, yeah. I got arrested there once. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So I'm pretty cool, if you're wondering. I'm also an anti-Zionist Jew, um, <laughs> and uh, I uh, talk a lot about uh, Zionism and uh, what it is and what it isn't on my Instagram, at Matt Lieb Jokes, if you like jokes and if you like hearing about anti-Zionism. And even if you are like a soft Zionist, liberal Zionist and whatnot, I, I think it would be helpful. Uh, check out the content because it's... Yeah. Um, 
you know, I think it's, it's my view on it. And, uh, I think we would be better to, uh, understand what Zionism is not. And one thing it is not is it is not Judaism. Yeah. Yep. That is a, a better introduction to this entire topic. Yeah. Our producer is Sophie. Hi, Sophie. Hi. I also committed crimes at that mall, allegedly. <gasps> allegedly. Alleged by you. Allegedly I've stolen things, too. Yeah, but not, yeah. At, not at the same mall as us. No, that's yeah. true. Oh. I've never been to this mall. I've only been to L.A. in short Curative moments, furtive moments. Well, it's not, well now it's a fucking Google or something. It's a Google shit. now. Well, so now it's yeah. even cooler to steal from. I know. I'd love to go in there. Get and some steal. staplers. Yeah. They probably don't some, have staplers anymore. They probably have headphones, though. All those yeah. tech companies have like just baskets of headphones. When I lived in San Francisco, I would occasionally have a friend who worked at like Facebook and we'd go to like the campus and eat, eat all the pizza and take all the headphones. It was so sick. People ask all the time about how to start a podcast, and the answer is you go to the Google headquarters and mm-hmm. you steal yeah, things from them. Headphones, <laughs> yes. Just headphones, just audio equipment. It's all you really need. Yeah. Then you have a podcast. <laughs> then and then you can talk about your time stop. in jail. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Put your headphones in, let the cord dangle, go to a bus stop, and start screaming. Yeah. That's essentially what a podcast is, if we're being honest. It yeah. more or less is. Yeah. But we... Did we say hi uh, to we're Ian? We're different because we have an audio engineer. Yeah, I was like, what did we say, say hi to, I was going to say, did we say hi to Ian? I don't recall. No, we Ian, haven't Ian, hi. Hi, Ian. Hi, Ian. That's Thank you nice. for everything that you do. Yeah, the unsung hero because <sighs> I haven't put it to music yet. We're singing it Ian, now. Ian, thanks for the things that you do for the well, show. Well, that was kind of beautiful. That was gorgeous. Thanks, thanks. I, uh, I have a metal band. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> Hell yeah. You have a metal band and you didn't steal from the West Side Pavilion. <laughs> Very yeah, I've been, a, I've Very been un-punk. LA enough. Very unpunk yeah. magpie. <laughs> I know. I'm just not punk. I know that song, Walking in LA. That's mm, everything yeah. I know about LA is that no one walks there according to a punk song from the 80s that might not be punk. Yeah. Or Beverly Hills, uh, Century City, uh, that cir- Circle Jerk song. Hell yeah. Uh, that's a good song. Go ahead. On Woman wrote our theme music. Mm-hmm. And this is part two of a two-parter about Israeli and international solidarity with Palestinian struggle. Mm-hmm. And where we last cliffhangered, I didn't want to leave it in an actual cliffhanger. I was like, will the IDF kill this American woman? And the answer was going to be yes. And so now we're going to talk about her because she was really fucking cool and really fucking brave. Yeah. And she was one of many, many brave people who are part of the international solidarity movement. Rachel Corey was born in 1979 and grew up in Olympia, Washington to a middle-class kind of centrist family. She went to Evergreen, the kind of hippie school in Washington, in Olympia. And soon she was an activist, uh, basically joining the same era of ultra-globalization movement stuff that I did. Her anarchist boyfriend told a reporter later that, quote, although Rachel didn't like labels, she could be fairly described as an anarchist too. An article in The Stranger was like wildly confused by this whole anarchism thing. And, but most of the ISM volunteers at this point were anarchists coming out of that ultra globalization movement, the same sort of people who would have been, you know, trying to stop um, free trade agreements that were stripping resources from developing nations. Yeah. 
soon enough, she's involved in the international solidarity movement. And she wanted to set up a formal sister city relationship between Olympia and Rafa, which is a city in the southern part of the Gaza Strip next to the border with Egypt. So she went to Gaza and she spent, and she joins the ISM, and she spent a month protecting a well, which is just inherently noble. Like, like poisoning the wells is like literally the classic bad thing to do if you're an army. Yeah. You know? And the Israeli military kept destroying this one well mm-hmm. and then firing on all the municipal workers who came out to fix it. Mm-hmm. So the ISM went and human shielded the municipal workers who were trying to fix a well because wow. they're scary human shields. Yeah, 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 yeah. Human shields who uh, are human shielding on their own volition. Who would yeah. have thought? Yeah. Yeah. And, you you know, if if you get deep into, you know, reading about uh, Israeli apartheid and the way it works, uh, a lot of it is centered around control of water, which yeah. is why you're like, a well? Why a well? And it's like, well... Read more about uh, how much of the water in Gaza is, number one, controlled by uh, Israel, um, all of it, and uh, how much of it is potable, because uh, not a lot of it is actually safe for consumption. And it's, it's a desert, so you can, tactic, yeah. you can understand you know, why water would be important in a desert, but it's uh, even more important considering um, what happens yeah, during a siege. Yeah. So, in 2003, this thing was happening that won't be familiar to anyone at all. Some Palestinians who were sick of decades of oppression have been fighting back in the Second Intifada. So, Israel decided to do collective punishment the one and only time that they did this. Yeah. And they said sorry, and then it's all good. Yeah. Everything's peace now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as part of this collective punishment, they were bulldozing people's houses. Mm -hmm. Ostensibly... To quote the BBC quoting the Israeli authorities, they were doing this because, quote, demolitions were necessary because Palestinian gunmen used the structure as cover to shoot at their troops patrolling in the area or to conceal armed smuggling tunnels mm. under the Gaza-Egypt border. Yes. Buenvenida mi túnel. That's from season two of Narcos Mexico. <laughs> El Chapo says that. It's very cool. Um but uh, I, I think uh, it, an important thing um, in terms of something that will contextualize uh, this conflict that will be very helpful f- for people, uh, I think, is you have to remember what the overall project is at the end of the day for uh, Zionists. Um, and that is the complete control of uh, the land, um, including Gaza and the West Bank, and the displacement or removal by any means necessary of the native population. So th- every time you hear uh, you know, talk of bulldozing houses, you're going to hear a thousand excuses that you may or may not you know, give credence to, where you'll be like, well, you know, I could see how... Just remember, the whole point of the project is to displace these people by any means necessary and that includes destroying homes so uh i think looking at it through that lens is important um just to understand uh just to understand uh what's uh why if you want to understand why yeah 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 and i had only i had um i previously thought that the home demolitions were more specifically related to like clearing land for the border or we put Mm -hmm. the border in the wrong place and but this is like 
in the fucking Gaza Strip. This is yes. absolutely like, this is like, we don't want you to have a place to live. They do not respect borders either. So it's another thing you'll hear about, like when apartheid walls are put up, especially in the West Bank, every time an apartheid wall uh, has been built or expanded on, it has not been based on some sort of nineteen pre-1967 border. It is always like, okay, let's, it's always pushing, pushing, it's pushing, pushing. Want, yeah. Yes. It's always to just get uh, more land, piecemeal a little bit at a time and sometimes if the opportunity strikes a lot of it at a time so just remember that's the point that's the project so ism volunteers started sleeping in various people's houses that were slated for demolition and they would do things like paint we are here and don't shoot on the outside walls and these outside walls are pockmarked by bullet holes from israeli guns rachel corey stayed with one doctor samir masri about six times or so Later, he said about her, quote, She was the fence to protect our building. I consider her as a hero. I consider her and everyone of the ISM as a member of my family. Rachel, she's 23 years old. She's already used to standing in front of bulldozers in Gaza Strip. She had gone to the Gaza Strip specifically because it was even more fucked right then than the West Bank. Mm-hmm. And so fewer people were willing to go there. So she felt more needed. Long live Rachel Corey. Long live that spirit. Go where you're needed. On March 16th, 2003, she stood in front of two armored bulldozers and a tank that were coming to destroy Samir's house. According to Samir and basically every international group, and there were a lot of witnesses, but not according to Israeli courts, the driver saw her. Rachel had a microphone. The, The reasons one might think that they saw saw her is that she had a microphone with a speaker and I was wearing a bright like day glow orange jacket as a uniform. Mm-hmm. She has said stop over and over again and witnesses saw the eye, the driver make eye contact with her. The bulldozer buried her alive, uh, then backed up over her. Mm-hmm. The red crescent got her out into a hospital where she was pronounced dead of suffocation. And The driver was never held accountable. Rachel's family spent decades trying to get some semblance of justice for what happened, and Israeli government just stuck to their own. A few weeks later, after Corey died, in April 2003, more ISM activists who are still in Rafah, there's a couple different accounts of this, but the the synthesis I'm putting together of these accounts is that the activists had decided to set up a peace tent to block IDF patrols. Like, they're just kind of like, blocking where the IDF wants to drive through to go patrol this area that they're not supposed to control. So Israeli snipers opened fire on the ISM activists. The activists took cover, and then one British volunteer, his name was Tom Herndahl. He was 22 years old. He was an activist and a photographer. He saw that some kids were being fired upon, so he ran out and grabbed a girl and got her to safety. And then he ran out again, and an Israeli sniper shot him in the head. He spent nine months in a coma before dying. And this sniper was convicted of manslaughter. And he basically complained. He was like, but my order said it was fine to shoot unarmed civilians. And I guess he missed the note that it was, don't shoot Westerners, you know? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, ah, shit, I forgot. (laughs) Yeah. Forgot to do it. Can't can't shoot the people who uh, don't know that we shoot people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you know. And they'll start getting mad about it. Maybe start uh, thinking we're not the uh, most moral army in the world, as we so claim. Right. 
literally they do claim this the, to be the most moral army in the world yes they they that's literally amazing. verbatim say we are the most moral army in the world that's amazing yes it, look it up it is uh quite hilarious there's not a lot of moral armies like overall those are things yeah. that don't go like as a little bit of a contradiction in terms but yeah but where i would put israel would not be near the top of that yeah no, I mean, I would, if I was thinking most moral army, army in the world, I would say um, the band Tiger Army. I feel like mm. they're pretty <laughs> moral. Um, I don't know much about Salvation Army, but they seem they're to be They're pretty bad, like, actually. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, there we go. Yeah, they hate gay people and they used to hate the IWW. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, and, but in terms of like, you know, I'm, I'm just like, yeah. it's all, it's on a sliding scale army Absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. totally. Yeah. 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 YPG, YPJ from uh, Northern Syria. And like that, they're all right, you know? So in the year 2000, the wall started getting built, the apartheid wall. In July 2003, the first continuous segment of it was finished. And well, you've, you've kind of spoiled this, but uh, yeah. when my I bad. imagine building a fence between me and my neighbor, I would think you would put it on the property line, you know? Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Israel is not very good at surveying. It's just not their strong suit no. as a nation. And because they put 15% of it on the, the border, the, you know, I mean, obviously the border sort of, a, all borders are made up, but this is an especially made up border, you know? Yeah. But they managed to put 15% of it on their own. We took way too much of your land already. 85% of it is with inside Palestinian territory, as much as 11 miles inside Palestinian territory. Yeah. 25,000 Palestinians were immediately cut off from the rest of, you know, Palestine. Yeah. Fortunately. No, no go ahead. It is. And no, it's something they do. I mean, it is, it is every time you uh, hear about a, a security fence being put up, um, you usually hear about it as like, well, you know, uh, they'll say, for example, you know, in this current conflict, um, a line of Israeli Hasbara that's been touted is uh, there is a very clear and distinct border between Israel and Gaza. And mm -hmm. it's never, it's never clear. It's never distinct. It is always changing. It is always being pushed, push, 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 push. If you read um, the, uh, Ahead Tamimi's book that she did with Dina, I think they call me lioness. I, I forget, I forget the name of the book, uh, but she talks about this uh, extensively about uh, the amount of protests that they would do when they were younger. Every time they would put up a security fence or anything around uh, a, um, a settlement, you hear this all the time with the settlements, um, you know, constantly taking more and more and more land and building any kind of barrier that would just suck up more and more of land that is supposed to be, uh, within the boundaries of Israel. So, yeah, it's what they do. It's like, it reminds me a little bit of how when Russia invaded Ukraine, they were like, oh, well, we need a buffer zone between us and NATO, mm -hmm. you know? And you're like, yeah, the border that you're allowed to have is the border between your nation and the, other, the rest of the world. Right. <laughs> like, and right. I don't feel great about that. I'm not a big borders person. No, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. But like the one that overall you could be like, you can have your border. You can't be like, I don't like the way that my neighbor is, so I need more of a buffer zone, so I'm going to put my fence through her kitchen. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it is uh, not normal or good. Yeah. <laughs> but fortunately, Matt, you'll be really excited 
to know that mm. this all got solved because the International Court of Justice was like, hey, so that's in violation of international law. And then the UN General Assembly demanded the removal of this fence um, by mm. a vote of 144 to 4. So Israel was like, I genuinely don't understand why you think we would care what you have to say. Right. <laughs> They're like, seriously, still? Yeah. Like, How many times are you guys going to write these pieces of paper and us burn it in front of you before you stop wasting paper? Yeah. <laughs> like, they uh, do not care about the UN or, you know, any uh, internationally recognized group of, you know, human rights uh, organizations or anything like yeah. if you go against Israel, then you are officially anti-Semitic. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So this largely nonviolent or like non-lethal movement cropped up to fight this wall. Uh, and it was pushed for by all these popular assemblies. One village in the West Bank, Masha, had one of these protest movements. When Israel tried to steal the pro... They were going to build an elementary school, the people who lived in this village... And then Israel was like, eh, that's where we're going to, we're taking that, that's where we're going to put our fence. We're just going to put it through your elementary school. So people from the village put up a protest camp on the property. And the name of the, the camp translates to alternative protest camp. And Palestinian, Israeli, and international activists moved into the camp. And for four months, they held back the wall, starting in late 2003. And they would stage direct action after direct action against the, the apartheid. Israel had a small but very active anarchist scene, which I think grew out of punk rock and the hardcore scene. Mm. Though most of the Israeli anarchists I met around that time were like far more com committed to liberation politics than they were to music. One of them got me into power metal. So shout out to Yoni if you're listening. Shout out. And also shout out to... Can we be sponsored by power metal? Okay, cool. So shout out to... People singing like this with lots of guitars. <laughs> and it sounds like the least metal thing you've ever heard. And yet, if you dig deep enough into the cringe, you realize that only the cringe are free. Dude, that's that is, I'm going to get that tattooed on me. <laughs> <laughs> only the cringe are free. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Here's some ads. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody, 
Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf stem cell technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next-day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. And we're back. We're back. So a bunch of these anarchists from Israel, they go to join the protest camp. Uh, they change... They change their name of their group at every different action. They, they go to the camp and then they go out and do these actions. And every single time they're like, oh, we're this, oh, we're that. And one day on December, in December 2003, they were calling themselves anarchists against the wall. And they went out on an action as they usually did. It was a big march of everyone all together, about 100 Palestinians and 100 other folks. The Israelis and the internationals went to the wall while Palestinians hung back because every time the Palestinians went too close, the Israeli soldiers would shoot live ammunition. Folks approached the wall to tear it up and they chanted in Hebrew, refuse, refuse. An Israeli soldier took careful aim, asked over comms for permission to shoot, and then shot an Israeli activist, Gil Na'amadi, in both of his legs with live ammunition at point blank range. And Gil, yeah, he had just left the IDF himself like a month earlier. He had finished his service and gotten out. Because for anyone who's listening, IDF is um, compulsory. You have to join the army if you live in Israel, although many people found ways to not do that. Right. And so Gil had just, um, this was his first protest. He had hung at the back of the demonstration for most of the time because he didn't know too many people. And they like were like, this is the leader. And his guess is that he's tall. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I get it. Yeah. Some, sometimes people think I'm a leader because I'm tall, but I'm like, no, nah, I'm more of a follower, to bro. But yeah. I mean, I'll stand. If you want to find me in a, like a Costco, then I'll stand at the front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> After he was shot, protesters demanded the soldiers call an ambulance and the soldiers did no such thing. Instead, they responded basically go ask help from your beloved Arabs. As he's bleeding, they shot him in the artery, which is a really bad place to get shot. Whenever in um, like movies or books or, or like mm-hmm. bad self-defense training, they're like, oh, I don't want to kill him. I'm just going to shoot him in the leg. Yeah. yeah. That's like one of the easiest ways to kill someone with a gun. Yeah. You know, there's this thing called the femoral artery. It's yeah. big and it is pretty yeah. brittle compared to a bullet. I remember... I, I once asked one of my friends who's a doctor, I was writing this book called The Country of Ghosts, and I was like, I need my character to get shot, but not like lethally. Where is a safe place to get shot? And my friend's like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was like, what about the shoulder? And I was like, that's a terrible place to be shot. There's so many, like... um, According to uh, HBO's The Sopranos, mm -hmm. the fatty 
part of like the buttocks and and thigh. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, with a small caliber caliber weapon. Okay. You know. That's pretty good. There's a whole, uh, you know, B story episode in which Bobby Bacala wants to make a little extra money. So he, he convinces a rapper to let him shoot him so he can have <laughs> better album sales. <laughs> and he shoots him in the butt, which is not necessarily going to get you the gangster title that you want. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a great show. Yeah. And if people want to hear more, they can listen. If to you want to hear more, put yourself yeah. a gun. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's all right. So, so he gets shot in both legs. It is not good. Um, he survives to spoil that or to get rid of the fear. Yeah. Activists carry him and an American woman who was also shot but less seriously injured. Carried them off while others stayed and tore apart the apartheid fence despite the fact that they were literally being shot at with live ammunition. Bad fucking ass. Yeah. Bad ass. And this particular fence separated Palestinian farmers from literally their own lands, which is very often the case. Um, mm. And so Giel was cared for at a Palestinian clinic with no supplies because his beloved Arabs took care of him. Like, they, they did do that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And they saved his life. Because getting hit in the artery is not a nice thing to do. The last interview that I found with him was eight years later. So this is 12 years ago. But he was fairly sure he would never walk again in that interview. He became a video game designer and slowly became more radical. Because he wasn't a radical. He just didn't want to have an apartheid state that he participated in. Yeah, you know? that's, yeah, that is really an important uh, distinction here. Um, you know, what you might consider radical if you're just a casual observer of uh, this conflict, you know, is the reason, the only reason you think it's radical is because you think it's more complicated than it being apartheid and it's not. Uh, so, you know, it should not be a radical position Yeah, to be against apartheid, but, you know. So it's just how it is. Uh, go ahead. No, no, no. I, so I read an interview with him. I read this long interview with him. Um, it's like interwoven with a history of video games. Cause it's, it's really interesting actually. And, and my, I had my second like aha moment of the research. The first one was the camp David thing where I was like, Oh, they were offered a second. They were offered a state, but it wasn't a state. They were offered a really fucking shit deal, you know? Right. And this other aha moment. And it's a little bit, this one's more subjective. He's talking about how he's at his kibbutz several years later, a drunk neighbor was talking to him. And I'm going to quote Giel. And then he, the neighbor, spoke about the Arab, about how they would never forgive, quote, us Jews. Something deep inside of him came gushing out. He was saying it was something everyone knew, but nobody ever spoke about. They will never forgive us. They will never forgive us. And so there's this idea in there yeah. Basically, the implication is that some Israelis just feel like they're in too deep. That they're like, yeah. they've been too fucked up, so they've got to keep going. Because they'll yep. never be forgiven for what they've done. A hundred percent. And, you know, it's like, uh, I, I do feel for, um, uh, you know, as fucked up as it might sound, mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, I do, I do feel for... Uh, Israelis. I mean, it shouldn't sound yeah. fucked up to, to totally. these are citizens of a country. Yeah. It's not fucked up to, to feel for people no matter where they're from. Yeah. But it's like, I feel for them because of the impossible 
situation that their government and their policies have put them in. And it's not as simple as like, well, you know, if they're a so-called democracy, why don't they just vote for it's just it's not uh, as simple as that, as we know, in America, you know, as much of uh, as as many of us are liberal, so to speak, or left or whatnot. Um that does not mean we are the majority and can control policy. And even when we think we can, we can't. Uh, and so like, you know, I, it is this awful, impossible position that gets more and more impossible by the hour, by the minute, by the second. And, um, it is, um, you know, it's, it's an understandable thing, but it's also at the same time, you know, it's also, I don't think it's true. Right, exactly. I yeah, I don't think it's true at all because yeah. uh, you look at apartheid South Africa. Yeah, and you you look at what that compromise to end apartheid ended up being, and it wasn't. I wouldn't say I would call it the ideal compromise. Uh, it was yeah. not uh, entirely just. It left South African, um, you know, Afrikaans people's economic privileges intact and whatnot, but. It, there was no mass white genocide. There was no, uh, you know, the uh, mass uh, uprising that murdered and displaced all of the uh, Afrikaners. It's yeah. it is not true yeah. that people don't have it in their hearts to forgive and don't have it in their hearts to move on because peace and normalcy is what human beings crave above all. Yeah, and I think that Giel's position is so uh, case is so obvious for this because. Here is the group he was just part of. He was just part of the IDF a month earlier. Mm -hmm. He goes to his first protest. He does not know the Palestinian villagers. He goes yeah. with them on a march. He's shot in both legs. The group he was just with says, bleed out. We don't care. Go right. ask help from your beloved Arabs. And then the Palestinians are like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, you talk about people not forgiving you. It's like, yeah, there's always going to be people. There's the, those Israeli IDF soldiers aren't going to forgive you. Yeah. You know, there's people who uh, out there who will hold on to grudges no matter what. But it is not. It is not. It should not be an impediment to just because you can't imagine the future. That is a human li limitation. Yeah. Uh, totally. And I think you have to remember that. You know, God, for lack of a better word, is in the collective, not the individual. And I think that a collective of people uh, just, you know, have the ability to do good as well as evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, totally. And so this, this shooting of an Israeli activist was a really big deal in Israel. Anarchists Against the Wall decided that that was the name that they were going to stick with for their group because it was the one that they were using that day and it was the one that the media was running with because of all the press, right? Yeah. Because, you know, this activist with Anarchists Against the Wall who had just shown up once, you know, but... Yeah, once you get the branding, you know, like out there, it's kind of hard to pull back. Yeah. That's why it's called Pod Yourself a Gun. <laughs> you know, we tried to have a new feed with Pod Yourself the Wire, but people already know the other one. So what can we do? Anyways, go yeah. on. I am not this much of a shill usually. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm no, it's sorry. Fine. <laughs> no, it's fine. And so they put out their own press release that day before they knew how badly Giel had been wounded. And it starts, no to the ghetto that's being built by Jews. No to the walls mm. between people. Stop the occupation. Israelis, Palestinians, and international activists bring down the apartheid wall in Masha. And 
There's another banger line from one of their communiques a little later. And this is what podcasting has done with me. Banger was not in my slang vocabulary <laughs> until I started hanging out with Cool Zone Media people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next, I'll, be, I'll say based at some point, I think. Yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> Sophie <laughs> says no, no based. <laughs> yeah. You don't fall for it. All right. Um, be but yourself. This is, this is a banger line, though. I think okay. we can agree. Okay. Since we can remember, we have been brainwashed with hatred and fear of our Palestinian neighbors. We have not gone for trips in the countryside without armed escort. We were told that our hand is extended for peace, but that there is no one to talk to. But these lies were exposed and are visible to everyone who participates in the actions against the occupation. We have slept together beneath the olive trees before they were uprooted. We have marched together to the fence and we will continue to struggle together, Israelis, Palestinians, and internationals, for justice and equality for all. Oh, based. Yeah. Ah, see. Okay, well, you can I'm say. Sorry. I'm no, sorry. No, it's okay. You're probably younger than me, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I did put a, a filter on the Zoom, though, so. <laughs> I just look at, no, that's fantastic. That's yeah. good shit, man. Fucking banger. The camp lasted for four months, and through it, the Israeli group, Anarchists Against the Wall, was able to start forming long-term partnerships with the popular committees in various West Bank villages, where there were near-daily nonviolent uprisings, and there's like a dozen of these towns. The Israeli government had two sets of rules of engagement, one for when it was just Palestinians, which was basically do some murder, and then one for when there were internationals or Israelis, only do a little murder. <laughs> a typical Friday demonstration went like this. People would rally in a village, gather for prayer, and then they would march out to the apartheid fence or to land stolen by settlers. Sometimes the soldiers would shut it down in the village before they had a chance to march. Other times, people would reach the fence and start chanting before the soldiers came in with tear gas, concussion grenades, and let's talk about rubber bullets for a minute. Oh, let's put some big air quotes on rubber. (laughs) Almost everywhere in the world, rubber bullets is actually used to mean something that might be more properly called baton rounds. Like when it's used mm-hmm. in America by police, you're talking about something called baton rounds, which are plastic right. or rubber or sometimes wooden projectiles fired from various guns. These suck. They hurt people. They occasionally kill people. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're bad news, right? There's only two places in the world in my research. I did a, for some weird reason in 2020, I did this whole big research project about less lethals that police use. I'm not... Mm-hmm. And... Rubber bullets has meant in two places in the world that I was able to find literally metal bullets covered in rubber to be like really vaguely less murderous. Yeah. You want to guess those two places? Oh, I'm going to guess Israel. Yeah, that's one of them. (laughs) That's not a guess. Uh That is something I know. And the other one, apartheid South Africa? No, although it's still Britain's fault. Oh, uh, Britain's fault. <laughs> oh, India. Northern Ireland. Northern ah! Ireland. Fuck, that would have been my next yeah. guess. That's, that's, I believe, where the rubber bullet was uh, developed. And eventually, wow. they were like, we got to stop shooting that. This just keeps murdering people. It's just a bullet. Yeah. It just kills people. Yeah, that's literally just a bullet uh, with, a, like, a, you know, wrapped in a flour tortilla it's not at all going to stop it doesn't stop doing bullet stuff yeah well also it, it is not not a baton round i've i read and i only read this in one source but i read that one of the reasons that the british 
didn't stop using them as much in Northern Ireland is that they would bounce and oh right yeah, and fuck yeah, yeah, up yeah, their yeah, own yeah. soldiers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Which you know that is one of them uh, alhamdulillah things. Yeah. <laughs> but in the you know in the desert, there's like fewer things to you know compared to Northern Ireland. Where you're, anyway, um, yeah. So yeah. less less bouncy. Yeah. So the protests would disperse at this point, and then the youth would start throwing stones at the motherfuckers who were shooting them. Yeah. Anarchists against the wall did more than march alongside the Palestinians. They also planted trees. They rebuilt homes and wells. They walked alongside farmers facing violence from settlers. All the while, they would get attacked by settlers and soldiers for doing this. Um, and they're not the only group doing this. The other groups that I mentioned earlier are also doing this, but you know, they're the one who I read the book about. Inside Israel proper... They did theatrical protests, like at one point, they set up a fake checkpoint in Tel Aviv with like barbed wire and shit, like to just control mm. everyone as they came through. Yeah. Uh, another time nice. they, they climbed onto tanks heading into the West Bank to be like, fuck you, you can't drive to the West Bank. Yeah. And they're sort of a, a non-group. They're as much a slogan or an identity as they were an organization. They had no platform, no manifesto, but they were all Israeli anti-Zionists. The introduction to one of their zines from 2007 reads, Anarchists Against the Wall sweats off the excess weight of thick, heavy ideological frames by making practice its center of gravity. This is not to imply that principled theoretical analyses are not needed, of course. We certainly encourage applying them to deconstruct the Zionist apartheid myths. However, at this time, the individuals comprising Anarchists Against the Wall would rather apply tugging ropes, bolt cutters, and 10-pound hammers to deconstruct Israel's wall and express their disagreement with IDF roadblocks. Mm. So basically, they were like, all doing, no talking, you know? Yeah, love it, love yeah. it. They're like, listen, feel free to read in a cafe. We yeah. love it. We love it. It's nice to have a framework. Dogma can be important. Yeah. Uh, learning theory is always cool to talk about. Sometimes it gets you laid. We're just <laughs> going to do stuff yeah. and let y'all talk. Yeah. Yeah. And all along, they're very clear in everything that they did right, that they're not the leaders of the movements, nor are they outside agitators, but they're people born into the occupying force and solidarity with the occupied people. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. There's That's a, the shit. That's I, I the know. shit that makes me feel good inside. I know. There's a village called Berlin. It's a tiny town under Israeli occupation since 1967. It's two miles east of the Green Line, which is the demarcation of what's ostensibly Palestinian, again, depending on what who's claiming what at what point. Right, right, right. The border wall cut it off from 60% of its own farmland. Weekly protests were led by the Billin's Popular Committee, and um, an Israeli human rights lawyer working alongside of them managed to get the border moved slightly, and they're constantly fighting settlements. But they, it's like, there are these little wins, you know? There are these like, hey, this town gets to keep having, keeps getting to feed itself. It's like little wins right. in the larger picture, but it's a pretty major win to be like, hey, like, I have food. Right. Yes, no, it is, it is, uh, I mean, just, to, it's a good example of how dire shit is, if that is a win, and it is a fucking win, huge win. And at least three Palestinian protesters died for that win, at these nonviolent <laughs> protests. One man, Basim Abu Rama, was 29 when he was struck in the chest with a tear gas canister and his heart stopped. And then 
later, a different protest, his sister, Jahawar Abu Rama, died from tear gas inhalation. And that one is like, there's like all of these like, nah, that's not what killed her things going on uh, that Israel is saying, but... It, they say that uh, every 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 time. Yeah. Every time someone dies by something that they claim is supposed to be non-lethal, like a bulldozer, they say, no, that's not what happened. Actually, it was uh, Hamas fired a rocket into their own right. people. You know. Totally. You, you know. Totally. The playbook is the same as it has always been. The playbook is literally the same. Yeah. It is It is uh, lie, 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 wait, 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 yeah. wait. Maybe tell the truth at some point at a later date when people don't care. Yeah. And then if so, be like, yeah, well, we meant to because fuck them. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, okay, we did it, but it was an accident. Yeah. And uh, therefore, we are not found liable. Yeah. Yep. So in 2008, the Berlin Popular Committee Against the Wall, the group that had organized these protests, and Anarchists Against the Wall were jointly, because they, they worked together to organize these things, were jointly awarded the Karl von Asietzky Medal. Uh, given annually by the International League of Human Rights in Berlin. And it's mm. named after a German Nobel Prize winning pacifist who died in Gestapo custody in 1938 by friend of the pod tuberculosis. You all thought I wasn't going to work in tuberculosis <laughs> this episode, but this motherfucker died of it. <laughs> friend of the pod. Oh, that's my favorite friend of the pod is tuberculosis. Yeah. Well, we yes. have another friend of the pod and it's uh, the fact Capitalism? that... Yeah, that we have sell ads so that I can feed my dog and spend all of my time reading history books so that I can tell you all of these things. Hell yeah. I love I love capitalism because it keeps me yeah. safe it is the, or something. It's the, currently the system that feeds me. <laughs> if I say nice things about capitalism on a podcast, will someone just send me money? Because that would be <laughs> sick. Yes. Yeah. We'll find out. So dope. Yeah. Uh, here's our ad money. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melanin. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. 
Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. And we're back. Hey. So... When when they went to Berlin to accept the award, the anarchist gave a funny speech about like kind of like oh, it was kind of weird for us as the Israeli anarchists to accept this, but at the end of the day, support for Palestinian struggle is more important. To put it in their own words, our primary moral duty is not to maintain ideological purity, but rather to stand with Palestinians in their resistance to oppression. Uh, and they also said, "This is where I got the thing earlier that I said I, this is from this quote." We would like to stress that we are not equal partners, but rather occupiers who join the occupied in their struggle. God, yes. Thank you. Yeah. These, you know what? This is an aptly named podcast. (laughs) Those are cool people. (laughs) Yeah. And they're doing cool things. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm excited that I figured out, I, I've known about them for a while because I, um. When I, I lived in Amsterdam years ago, like kind of during mm. a lot of the height of this, and I had a lot of Israeli friends who lived there. Partly because a lot of Israelis left the country because the other option was go serve or go to prison. Go serve, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 In January 2008, folks in Tel Aviv, an Israeli city, uh, held a critical mass protest against the occupation. You ever heard of critical mass? It's this old style of protest. No, I know of uh, this thing where uh, people go on bikes. That's it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's like, it's it's just a. Uh, that was just a bike ride. Yeah. Well, it's like it. It started off as this movement. We'll probably do an episode about it sometime. Probably start off as this movement to yeah. like reclaim cities from cars. You know, and right. like like a bike rights thing. But then more and more during the ultra globalization movement, they started getting used to like be a way to hold a demonstration was to go be on bicycles. Oh. Cool. And so, Anarchists Against the Wall held a critical mass protest against the occupation, January 2008. Mm. And this one is small as hell. It was like 30 people. There's not really anything illegal about it. You're just literally vehicles that are allowed in the street and you're riding in the street. One protester, Jonathan Pollock, was arrested. Uh, This was politically motivated. He was a founding member of Anarchists Against the Wall. And he's an interesting guy. He was in the hardcore scene in the 90s, and he founded a vegan anti-Zionist group called One Struggle, just very 90s hardcore thing to do. Yeah. His, uh, his case of riding a bicycle in the street went to trial in 2010, and he gave this awesome speech where he got three months for organizing the protest, which he claims he didn't do. And his speech is basically like, well, I should have. I should have organized yeah. a protest, but I just happened yeah. to not. I'm not sorry. Like... Yeah. No, the protest is sick. Yeah. It kind of sucks that I'm getting in trouble for it because I'm not, I didn't do it, but fuck, I wish I did it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is what I've always held. Yeah. You know, if I ever, like, I have a friend who once got arrested for, um, he got convicted for doing like all of the damage at a protest, like Mm. all of the windows that got broken. They were like, you did all of it. Which is not physically possible, but he did. The, I mean, unless you're the Hulk or like the Kool Aid man, right. that guy can do whatever he wants. That's true. That's a good point. 
Yeah. And so unless my friend has this uh, secret capacity that I, I'm not personally aware of. And I was always trying to tell him, I was like, you should say you did it. You did the time. <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, you might as well at this point. Yeah. You might as well just do it yeah. uh, or just start saying you did it. No one's going to question you. Is it really you know? stolen valor if you've gone to prison for it? <laughs> That's a hundred percent true. Yeah. That is that is a one thousand percent true. Just say you did it. Yeah. So there's a thing called having too much honor. All right? right. Or being too honest. Right. Totally. <laughs> Come on. And so as soon as he got out, Jonathan returned to protest work. He sent several more months in prison in 2020 on charges of throwing stones at soldiers in the West Bank, which he actually almost certainly did not do. Most sources seem to admit that this was a political arrest. He had been at demonstrations every week for years, and no one had ever seen him throw, throwing stones. Uh, even though in April 2005, the IDF shot him in the head with a tear gas canister requiring stitches. And hear me out. This is my favorite Israeli claim, IDF claim so far. Mm-hmm. The IDF was like, no, we didn't shoot you on the head. We don't, we don't shoot people uh, with tear gas canisters. What happened was we shot it into the air when it ricocheted off of a stone thrown by these evil terrorists. Mm, that's right. Once again, that's uh, it's the magic stone theory of, uh, you know, it's it's exactly, you know, there was a guy on the grassy knoll right. who threw a stone, a child yeah. actually. Palestinians and, uh, killed boom. JFK, is that what you're saying? I'm saying the Palestinians killed JFK, yeah. which is, I think a Palestinian man is supposed to have killed RFK, but I don't know <laughs> if... Uh, I don't, not in connection to the conflict, just, you know. Yeah, it's unrelated. People are people. Yeah, Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Different thing. All right. Yeah. In 2019, this guy, Jonathan, uh, survived an assassination attempt by knife-wielding far-right guys. And he he regularly gets arrested for all this organizing. And he always refuses to cooperate with his court cases because he views them as illegitimate. And so this is part of why he ends up getting prison time here and there for doing these like because he's not actually doing wildly illegal stuff he's an organizer and he's showing up in solidarity with people you know anyway he's cool yeah well i don't know him personally maybe he's a terrible person the stuff that i I know about him doing is yeah so far so good anyhow at the very end of 2008 israel launched a three-week quote war war gets quotes in gaza It gets called the Gaza War, although that name was probably going to... Anyway, it gets called Operation Cast Lead, and it gets called the Gaza Massacre. More... Lots of different names. Yeah. More than a thousand Palestinians were killed, as well as 13 Israelis, four of whom were killed by friendly fire. It was this horrible massacre that laid the groundwork for the current batch of resistance in Gaza, because the people who are 20 now were five when they survived this horrible shit. Yeah. More than a thousand Israelis marched against the war in Tel Aviv. And I want to quote from Anarchist Against the Wall speech to just show how much things have changed in their intervening time. Mm. Quote, Today we are told that a ruthless attack on Gaza's populace is in fact a war on Hamas. Dropping bombs in residential areas in the world's most densely populated region is not a war crime, but instead an assault on the infrastructure of terrorism. Shelling the University of Gaza's female dorms as eliminating explosive labs and murdering hundreds of women and children constitutes just and moral combat. Yeah, evergreen. Yeah. 
Evergreen. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it is the, the same thing over and over again uh, regarding Gaza and the Israeli treatment of Gaza. And uh, if you're interested in learning what they call this type of security without peace is one of the things they call it. Uh, they also call these, you know, every two year operations in Gaza. Um, they call it mowing the grass. The idea, the idea being, you know, you mow the grass, it's kill, that's killing a mm-hmm. bunch of people, uh, you know, supposedly terrorists, quote unquote. And then you wait a few years and then, you know, you got to mow the grass again. So uh, if you want to know the value of human life in Gaza, just uh, look no further than the phrase mowing the grass yeah. or mowing the lawn. Yeah. That's fucking... It's fucking dark. dark. And it's not like, oh, well, that's something said by like some far right. No, that's what that is generally what it's called. That is what they say in their own media. It is. I've heard it's a phrase I've heard bandied about in our own media recently. And um, you uh, that's a bad thing to import. Yeah, you you can't help but feel like, uh, you know, I maybe call me naive, but I don't think the Overton window has shifted enough to uh, describe a massacre of civilians as mowing the lawn and not have people be like, that sounds genocidal as shit. (laughs) But, you know, who knows? Maybe I'm naive. Maybe people don't care. I mean, honestly, the main... This is the first time... I've been paying some attention to this stuff since, you know, I've... Since I was about 19 or 20 or so. And mm-hmm. so, however many decades, it's two decades, whatever. I think people know yeah. how old I am. And now everyone knows everything about me. Born in Maryland. Yeah. Roughly yeah. 40 or 41 <laughs> years old. <laughs> right, right. Maybe I'm 47. Who knows? Yeah. Okay, anyway. Yeah. so Social security number eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this is the first time that the, the media narrative didn't work. Yes. Um, yes. And that is 100% hopeful. It is. And and I think it's because this is my general theory about it um is that the thing about manufacturing consent is that it takes it takes time and it takes effort and the thing about propaganda is that propaganda works better in sort of a controlled media space. Mm-hmm. It also works better once again spaced out. Uh, it used to be in the past that a um, massacre um, would happen or a Palestinian civilian or a journalist would be murdered by Israeli forces. And um, they would say, uh, no, they're lying because they always lie. Um, you know, they would say the Palestinians are lying. We didn't do that. They did that to themselves or whatever. And then weeks would go by, months would go by. And eventually there might be some admission of guilt. Like, you know, like it's done so many times. We've heard this a thousand times. By the time they admit to anything or they circle back around to it, no one cares. Yeah. In this instance, um, so much propaganda is happening happening so fast at such a, a high rate, um, at least in the last you know couple of months since uh, the seventh, that there's no time for spin. There's it, yeah. it just the spin looks manic and ridiculous. Like uh, a hospital is bombed in Gaza, and they say we didn't bomb the hospital. We don't bomb hospitals. You know they probably bombed their own hospital, and then two days later. They bomb a hospital and they're like, okay, we do bomb hospitals, but we have to bomb hospitals because they're not actually hospitals. And it's like, 
any casual viewer of the news is not getting the sufficient time to be convinced of their line. Instead, they just two days later do the thing they said they never do. And so you go, oh, they're liars. And I think that is, you know, uh, I mean, in a horrifying way, it is a, it's a, it's a hopeful development that they are, they, they seem to have just in general gotten worse at Hasbara, if it, Hasbara being Israeli propaganda. And uh, that they, they are not that they were ever good at it if you cared about the subject at all, but uh, it's particularly bad now because they just are living in such a bubble where they don't, all of their talking points, all of their kind of like liberal pinkwashing is. Uh, dated for this younger generation it feels phony like we know what pink washing looks like not you know through israel so much as we know it through corporations who citibank having a pride float you know and we know like oh people just say this in order to sell us stuff so now people are seeing israel doing that and they're going like oh i know this yeah, this is fucking the the MetLife, you know, fucking float over at the yeah. at the Pride Parade. This is this is you're trying to sell me life insurance. This is bullshit. Yeah, no, I, yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, I'm just yeah. glad people aren't buying it as much as they used to, and that it's it's like nice to not be alone and knowing 100%. this stuff. You know, oh my like, god, like it is. If the if there's one thing that has made me a little bit less insane it's been seeing other people you know being able to be like you see this right yeah exactly people go, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah this this feels like super fake like more fake than usual yeah if, if i ever had time in my life i would start a podcast purely about husbara yeah it would just be the the you know the weekly husband because it's all so it's all so egregious and insane yeah. that uh you know that i think from an american perspective or you know we would be able to look at it and just just to dig into it for you know i don't know yeah to see what uh is actually happening yeah but you know i got i got tv shows to rewatch no so. i understand there's well i mean i don't know there's always more projects to do there's always more projects so Speaking of more projects, there's a whole bunch of other projects in Israel that are part of resisting occupation. And they they range Same. the gamut. One of them, Yeshkevul, was founded in 1981. Mm. And it is a movement of IDF soldiers who refuse to serve in the occupied territories. And I know I was talking earlier about how like Israeli friends who were all, you know, getting away from the draft or whatever. And of like four Israelis I know who avoided serving in the IDF. Two of them just left the country or one person just never went to Israel, basically, had joint citizenship. Another marched in and said, fuck you, I won't do it. You know, and so they sent him to jail for a while and then he came out and was like, yeah, well, fuck you. And then another one of my friends, I probably said this before on the podcast, another one of my friends went in and was like, give me a gun. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who I'm going to shoot. I'm going to shoot someone. Damn. And, and they, they were like, uh, nope, you, you don't get a gun. Uh, wow, that's bold. <laughs> Alice's restaurant I, it. I, I, <laughs> I wonder if that would work now. I have no idea. I, I know, like, right? They'd be like, you're our guy. 
Yeah, at this point, um, I think there's just so many reservists came up after the seventh to be like, "Give me a gun." So know. who knows? But I know. Fuck. I mean, he was like, is, "I think he took it real far." He was like, "I don't know who I'm gonna shoot. It might be me. Might be you. I don't know." You know? <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> um, I love it. And so, okay, so you have, and so you have all this. You have this movement of people going back decades. The first uh, people who refuse to serve go back at least as far as the fifties, and it it ebbs and flows, but it is uh, flowing again. And then, of course, you have people like Giel who went and served and didn't like what they saw and didn't like what they were involved mm-hmm. with and then ha- joined the other side immediately after leaving. Um, and when I say the other side, of course, whatever, I told the whole story. I don't need to disclaim this. Right, right. And then, more recently, I swear I don't do current events, in September 2023, 230 conscientious objectors signed a letter called Youth Against Dictatorship. Mm. And they said, quote, we decided that we cannot, in good faith, serve a bunch of fascist settlers that are in control of the government right now. Mm. Reservists have signed on to this as well, because, as you mentioned, I mean, a lot of reservists are signing up and going off and right, 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 persecuting right. this war. But yeah. a lot of reservists have signed on to this as well and refused to serve. Um, and this is tied into the right wing is really extra coming to power in Israel this year. And mm-hmm. the... 2023 Israeli judicial reform has centralized yeah. more power into the hands of legislature and away from the courts. Basically, the Supreme Court used to be able to declare laws unconstitutional. Um, right, the way a checks and balances system usually Yeah, works. and they were like, what if instead of having checks and balances, we just are the right-wing people in charge? Israel's also increasing slowly the authority of the rabbinical court, saying that religious law can be used mm-hmm. in civil matters. And this isn't to say that the left is like powerful in Israel. It really, really isn't. But there is hope and there is hope in a way that is interesting to me and to to close it to compare to when the left hope was not as hopeful 2011 yeah israel got a version of the plaza occupation protests that swept around the globe occupy and you know um all those kinds of things theirs was particularly lackluster and reformist uh, not just because Israel hadn't been a hit as hard during the financial crisis, but to quote author Uri Gordon, quote, the fact that a movement mobilizing around social justice effectively ignored the social conditions of millions of Palestinians living under their own government's military occupation. This was an Occupy movement that ignored the other real occupation taking place in its own backyard. Mm. And so anarchists against the wall, they like showed up. They're like, all right, well, we'll fucking we'll do this shit too, you know. And they set up their own tents and they were run out for bringing anti-occupation politics into the Occupy movement. So they moved over to the yeah. tent city of actual homeless people and African refugees, like right across the, on the other side of the street, basically. Mm-hmm. Because they had been in solidarity with those people for years and they were accepted. Yeah. And they're still around. So were the international solidarity movement and... Uh, more importantly, so are Palestinian organizations of all types and all levels. And yeah. thinking about any of these groups of people as like Palestine is Hamas, Israel is the IDF, whatever, right. or Israelis is, you know, mm-hmm. is reduction that'll just fuck everything up. Yes, uh, completely reductionist and also, you know, again, gives too much of the... Um, Gives too much fuel for the right wing uh, in Israel to use in order to, I think, 
rile up bring people to their cause of like you see this you know they they hate us they hate all of us they want to kill us if they ever had their way yeah we'd be driven into the, the sea. one state solution that they were fighting for was a non uh, right was actually a decent like non-apartheid state <laughs> but yeah right right and so uh yes so it is it is important to remember as much as the israeli left has been diminished and it has been there's no getting around that uh, and as much as they you know uh as much as the seventh has i think further ghettoized the left it does exist. There is a history there. And I do not think that it is. I think the pendulum is a pendulum for a reason. And it's uh, the, the idea that it's going to stay swinging right forever is, um, is an illusion. And it is, uh, it is something that I personally am seeing more and more people, especially now, uh, waking up and listening to you know israeli leftist voices who are still out there and 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 i also want to say it's also important to not dismiss and this is you know for i suppose the more online left people it is important to not dismiss any um israeli leftist voices because they might sound you know um because they say something like Hamas is bad. Like the idea that you would like you you can't you can't hold people to an uh, uh an unrealistic standard. Right. Now personally, I don't think it's at all unrealistic to be like uh, a right-wing uh Islamist uh group is is bad. Yes, they, they, they right. kidnapping people is bad, murdering civilians is bad. That's just like period. Yeah, yeah and uh but like the, I do see people kind of go like, "Oh, you know, this uh um you know, this, the Israeli left is dead. Look at this person, you know, talking about, uh, how, um, bad Hamas is. And it's like, bro, slow your roll here. Slow your fucking roll here. The, uh, you know, and everyone talks to the audience this, that they know, you know? Yes, exactly. Everyone talks to the audience that they know and what they, you know, in Israel, uh, you know, it is Hamas is, uh, uh, you know, I mean, not even just outside of Israel. It is it, it, terrorism bad. There are reasons for it. Yeah. No one is disputing that. Um, no one but, gets to uh, kill civilians is a perfectly reasonable line to hold people to. And then right, you have to yeah, hold and, all sides to it while still recognizing that one side has more power than the other. Right, a hundred percent, and the power dynamics are what's important here, and uh, and that is a different argument than saying something like Hamas is good. So, but again, this is not you know I'm talking to fucking anonymous inter internet accounts now, yeah, which yeah. is never a good thing to no. do. Um, but yes, the Israeli left, uh, I think you know I maybe this is naive, maybe I just have hope, but they will have their day, and I think more and more the, the where they have always been the most useful is in showing the world that this is not about ethnic hatred or religious hatred um that israelis and palestinians are neither are monoliths and neither are they they 
have been in this fight together and will continue to be in this fight together despite their small numbers despite everything you see um and uh yeah i don't know i just i I have some hope dog yeah i have some fucking hope and i think that whatever hope we have is in solidarity with each other with people who are marginalized in various ways working together across all kinds of cultural boundaries and Mm -hmm. yeah it gives me hope and remember, the left uh, fails more than it succeeds. <laughs> so being like, oh, the Israeli left failed is like, well, yeah, the left, that's kind of what the left does is fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. But when it succeeds, we also remember that. Yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a lot easier to build something new than to, it is to tear something down. So let's uh, extend a little bit of hope, a little bit of positivity, a little bit of grace. Yeah. Huh? Well... That's our non-current events podcast about history. About the past. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you, yeah. Got any, you got any plugs for us here at the end? Oh, you know, uh, join me to talk about The Wire <laughs> and The Sopranos. Pod yourself a gun, a TV rewatch podcast. We do it. It's great every week. And then also in between seasons, we have a, our, our OG show that me and my co-host Vince Mancini have been doing together for uh, over a decade. It's called The Frotcast. And that's at patreon.com slash frotcast. For those of you who are like Matt, I, I I love you, dog, but I will not watch a whole ass TV show to listen to you talk <laughs> about it. Well, then listen to the Frotcast, patreon.com slash Frotcast. Uh, you know, you can you can join if you want, but also I uh, I don't I don't want to take your your money is more probably more important to be spent at Cool Zone because they do uh shows that actually <laughs> matter. <laughs> <laughs> that have an impact and are uh, helping uh, to uh, educate people. Me and Vince mostly just talk about movies and like uh, funny, funny shit we see on the internet. I mean, and politics. It all matters sometimes. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of it more than others, <laughs> though. <laughs> I gotta tell you. Uh, yes, and then I'm on uh, Instagram at Matt Lieb Jokes. Follow me. Hell yeah. Uh, if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram at Margaret Kiljoy. I'm technically on Twitter. I'm technically on lots of services that I don't actually check. Uh, I deleted Twitter off my phone. It's the best decision I've made for my mental health. But then Smart. it just means I open it on my laptop and it doesn't fix anything yeah. yet. And yep. uh, also, if you want to hear me read you fiction every Sunday on this feed and on the It Could Happen Here feed, you can hear the Cool Zone Media Book Club, where I read you short stories. And some people use this to go to sleep to, which means that one of my friends, now whenever I talk to him, he starts feeling sleepy. <laughs> that rules. So, yep, uh, that's it for us. And we'll see you next week with more Cool People Did Cool Stuff. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts on Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. 
visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, I love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.